Hello fantasy managers and welcome to the MLS Fantasy Insider. Tonight we have our annual round table review of the 2020 fantasy season. It's a tradition. Every year after the game's over, after the final whistle, we take some time to review and cover all of the changes that uh, happened and decide if we liked them, if we didn't like them, if our opinions changed, and give out some rewards. Uh, this episode is brought to you by caveats the official sponsor of the 2020 mls season uh, uh, no no sorry i mean uh brought to you by mlsfantasyboss.com and the amazing patreon supporters of the mls fantasy insider you guys are awesome uh, we got jason with us tonight uh, spoiler who is one of our, our top patrons so uh, you guys are so awesome and thank you again for another year of support look forward to to going forward with you this is all for you so i hope we got people in chat and uh let's just do this let's jump right into it as they say in the youtube world i'm your host reed Connolly from mlsfantasyboss.com and tonight i'm joined by my partners in fantasy blaine riffle and mr michael denton hello fellas hello hey and uh, like I said before, we'd also like to welcome uh, tonight's round table. It was everyone from our top tier Patreon supporter group was invited. Some people were sick. Patrick, get better soon, buddy. Uh, and some people had some conflicts, maybe joining us later. So you may see a little bit of the, the sidebar. And if you're watching on YouTube right now as I'm monitoring that. But we have Jason Morris with us tonight from Patreon. How are you doing, Jason? I'm doing good. Thank you. I'm doing about as, as well as I could be expecting at the moment. So happy to be here. <laughs> that's no, that's true. Uh, and we're very excited. I know Jason's tried to join. He's been a Patreon supporter for the whole time. Jason, is that right? Three years? No, I think I started, I think, uh, 2017, maybe. I was living in Korea at the time. So that's right. I think it was like 2017. It's, yeah, it's been a while. This, yeah, this program, I, when I was living there, I couldn't watch any games. So basically all I did was play <laughs> fantasy. So listening to you guys that was like the, the the between that and extra time that was how i followed the league for like two years yeah and i'm super excited because we tried to have jason on the show for the last couple of years and there's always seemed to be like either korea with time shifting or internet connections when he's moving but it looks like we have a great connection right now and great audio quality so we are excited to have jason with us we're excited for everyone who has joined us within chat not as many as uh, we usually have during the game previews which i expected but this is just a fun episode where we're going to review everything so chat uh, please chime in whenever you like we would love to hear your feedback as we go over the 2020 season so let's start with of course the rule changes we all know what they are we've touched on these topics throughout the the short season that we've had and this is just our final time to take it all into account excuse me and decide what we think so we're going to be talking about the fixed budgets the double game week change the fantasy champion league playoff and uh, the price changing system and uh, that's the the algorithm essentially that i'm talking about right there so let's start with uh fixed budgets blaine let's go with you um, I really enjoyed the fixed budgets this year. Um, in years past, it's been kind of a money game, and I liked getting away from that. But with as crazy as the year was and kind of the ups and downs, I was out of it a couple of times on the overall, and I know my budget would have tanked had I not had the fixed budget. And it was nice just to feel like I was in it every week. Um, fair, or fair competition. Never had to worry about just losing the game based on a bad week. You are always coming back into it. And I like that. I I don't think I would want to go back to the variable budget right away. 
just because it, it, it felt like every week you had something to play for and you had a chance to compete with the best. And I think that just, I, I think that was kind of felt around the league. Everybody was making big decisions and I very rarely heard comments of, well, I'm just priced out of this guy because I don't have the budget. Um, even at the end, we were still debating Ladero and Pozuela, who are both hovering 14, 15 million. We could fit both of those in there. And I, you never once heard somebody say, I can't afford to put both of them in there. It's I'm choosing not to put both of them in there, but it was never a, I just can't do it. it and that, that made me feel good, just knowing that everybody had a fair shot to go get those couple of guys that were always up there. And they really did earn those spots on everybody's roster towards the end of the year. And I didn't feel like anybody could game the system early and make sure they had a competitive advantage at the end. And that really made me happy for the year. Jason, what about you? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I'm I pretty much second what, what Blaine said. Um, I, I like the fixed budget. I mean, I, I wasn't... Um, uh, you know, I think the previous years were fine too, but I do kind of like the fixed budget. I mean, I think... Um, the one thing I'd probably say about it, maybe people wouldn't think this, but for me, I think it'd be kind of interesting to um, even tighten it a little bit. Like I felt like it would just make the game a little bit more interesting, especially at the, towards the end of the season, if there was a little bit less money sloshing around and you were kind of almost forced to dig a little bit deeper to find some more interesting players. But I think as a compromise between you know what we uh, what it had been like for the, the last few years and, and then going with this one. I, I think it's probably great i mean it would be i mean this is my like social scientist brain thinking about this like if you could figure out how many more casuals you attracted to the game because of this change and other changes that would be a really interesting way to to think about it you know are there people who stuck with the game a lot more than they would have maybe in past years you know when because they knew that their budget wasn't they weren't going to get you know totally uh, behind on the budget that kind of thing. but i was happy with the change yeah, I, I hear what you say, and that makes me think immediately, like, putting two of these together, like, the Champions League, the, the best of the best, the top 400 people, whatever we had, <laughs> they would get $100 million, and that would be their budget for the Champions League. Like, <laughs> then it's like, it's like, all right, let's see how good you are. That that would be that would be kind of interesting. But no, I like that, and, and I really feel like this is sort of a rough year for a lot of these changes that come out with COVID mm. and the impacts that had, too. Mike, your thoughts on the fixed budgets? Uh, I pretty much agree with uh, Jason and Blaine. Um, the only thing I'll add is I'm glad that with all the other stuff that we had to sort through um, with this year and double game weeks and COVID and injuries and all, all of this stuff, I was glad we didn't have to focus on the budget. I, I did think that it really kind of forced you to kind of go into the weeds um, in something. I think my the only issues I kind of had with the budget system was really more of pricing issues, which we'll get to um, in a little bit. But um, I thought the fixed budget was fine. I thought it kept it fair. Um, so I wouldn't have, I, w I wouldn't make any changes other than, you know, maybe if you wanted to tweak it, depending on what you do with the price change system. Yeah, we have Shannon in chat who says that uh, she was nervous at first, but really liked it, liked the change. Um, I feel like it added more thought and skill. I agree. I think it, it did make you really have to decide. Uh, am I going to spend the money on Paz? Am I going to spend the money on Ladero? Or if I'm going to get both of those guys, where am I going to go budget? And I know a big worry a lot of people had was having budgets, budget players that could fill those spots. And I think at least on defense, we had a lot of success at finding players who were sub-7 million at times, sub-6, sub-7 million, who, who were starters who could go in there and help you save some money. And even we had several budget forwards this year as well. Um, but... Uh, 
I will say, here's the question that comes out to everyone. Having the fixed budget is definitely different from the other fantasy games. I mean, especially if you're coming from, from FPL over to Fantasy MLS, uh, you're used to this this uh, market. Now, nah, the market system is more of the value changes, but you're used to this, this sell-on fee and, and getting more money if you're doing better, that kind of thing. Do you think that it is a barrier to some people who are trying MLS for the first time or coming over. Is it is it a fun thing for us who have been in the the trenches for a while, but someone who's just coming over to try it, is it too different? Um, I would say, I mean, I'm sure it is slightly a barrier, but I think the bigger barrier to FBL participation, um, well, I mean, assuming they're Americans, first of all, otherwise you have the time change system. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the other... Um, Quirks of MLS are bigger issues for FBL players than this. I think unlimited transfers, unrolling transfers, are bigger issues to try to adjust than the fixed budget. Um, because I mean, we haven't had a system that matches FPL's market system um, for what four years now. Um, and when when we first kind of shifted from that we didn't lose a lot of fpl it was when the other changes came in that we really started losing uh the fpl crowd so i don't think this is as much of a barrier i think they i, I think a, probably a bunch of fpl players if everything else was the same wouldn't be like okay well, sure we'll, we'll try that and see how that goes um but it's i think it's everything else combined with it that makes it more difficult for them to adjust and see i'm I go the other way. I actually think this is probably a help for FPL players. It's everything else that ran them off. Uh, as a player that's tried to jump into FPL or the Fantasy Bundesliga and stuff like that, like fami- not having familiarity with the with all the players in those other leagues and not knowing where to go to find value, if you start losing the money game early on that because you don't really know the league, it's it's a big turnoff. That's why I've never stuck with any of the other ones long enough for it to matter because I just I get behind in the game and I don't know the players well enough and I can't course correct really quick and say, oh, these players are hot right now, so I'm just going to gamble with the guys that are hot right now. Um, I kind of get stuck with, well, I can't afford the guys that are hot right now because their value keeps going up and I get screwed. you get screwed all over the place. I think for me, fixed budget, just it, it eliminates one of those barriers for entry when you are a little more ignorant of the league and trying to learn it and I would I would probably stick with some of the other games if they had something like this, because I wasn't to get losing a competitive advantage every week that I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, Derek in chat says that he enjoys the uniqueness that we don't have to be like FEL. Uh, definitely not. And I will say one thing that has been consistent with MLS is our uh, point generating system of how players earn points and what bonus points, how bonus points are calculated, is far and away different from FPL, and in my opinion, superior to FPL in every way where players get rewarded or penalized for their job and doing their job well or doing doing poorly at their job. So uh, definitely don't have to be like FPL. Not what I'm saying. I wanted to try to throw out some of the, the common criticisms as well. The, the last one being that getting more budget is in itself like a reward for doing well. And so some people feel like they're not being rewarded for doing well. Uh, my take on that is, well, you... You're getting, you should be getting points if, if you're picking good players who are scoring big points and you're getting a great score. 
you're going to be rising rising into overall ranks you're going to be winning your head-to-heads you're you're going to be qualifying for some of those league prizes that's your reward you don't necessarily have to have the biggest budget because then it just turns into well let me get the top players every week which we know though aren't always the best scoring players every week but uh do you all think that that is also a barrier for some people that they want to see that price because that validates their success I mean, I, I can understand that perspective. I think the, the issue that we had um, in MLS was that it was really mostly a reward for being successful in the first few weeks because that was where you had the most dramatic yep. price rise. You could really gain the system. Because um, it was basically figure out what Ben Bear got wrong whenever he set the pricing system and kind of plug into those players for a few <laughs> weeks. And because I, I remember we made, made picks on this podcast. Like, I have this person on my team. They, they probably won't do well, but they're getting a 0.5 price rise regardless. So I'm, I'm taking it to the bank. And I don't know if that's something that we want in the game. I don't know that that's really fun for players. Um, it is a reward, but I mean, then you just end up kind of getting a snowball effect of, well, I have the best, I have the biggest budget. So now I can buy all the best players who are going to get me more budget and just kind of keep on go- going down the road. Um, so I think if maybe the price system were adjusted so that it wasn't as much of a shock, which I, I know we had a little bit of a change this year, but really no opportunity to see um, it function uh, the way that we would have wanted to see it um, because of COVID. Um, maybe you could do something like that and kind of bring it back, but um, it's in the past, it's basically been a separate game of its own for the first few weeks, and that's been the problem in MLS. Yeah, a little mini game. Uh, pause for a second as we welcome Ari Hillman to our roundtable. Ari, how are you doing? I am doing well. How are you? We're doing well. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I mentioned that some of the, the people may be coming in a little bit after the show started and glad you were able to make it. I think you're in here twice, so I don't know if that's uh, <laughs> phone and laptop. Uh, no, I think I'm just not smart sometimes, but I will figure <laughs> out why. So we're seeing double... Are you, uh, is he, is he double speed? Speed? I've been reading those altered carbon uh, books. I don't know if he's <laughs> <laughs> it, my alter ego. Well, our, we Wait were just it. talking about uh, our first topic for our 2020 review, and that is uh, the fixed budget system. Most of us uh, enjoyed the change, thought it added a, a nice a strategic level to it, but we were acknowledging some of the, the common criticisms about being rewarded for doing well and how there's some similarities with other systems uh, before we move on to our next uh, topic our next change which was double game week scoring system what were your thoughts on the, the fixed budgets this year i kind of liked it obviously i'm a rookie so this is my first year so this was whatever um i would say it was pretty cool to start because you know what'd be the fun if you had unlimited budget we'd all have the same team pretty much every week but uh I would say I liked it because it was stressful. Like, as weird as that sounds, at the beginning I was picking players, you know, you'd get your Pozuelos or your Lideros and everything would be great. But towards the middle and end of the season, you kind of had to think, I can't just take whoever I want because now they're all, you know, Lideros, a good chunk of cash. You can't just put them on your team and assume you can get a bunch of Lideros and Pozuelos without having some scrubs here and there. Um, so I actually kind of like that because it made you think about, like, who is that middle of the tier or lower tier player that you can take 
that could be a boom. Your Castellanos is, et cetera. Like those guys, it was cool when you get, you know, DK or Castellanos and, you know, they get a goal and that that's huge. That's what you want out of a guy like that. You know, somebody that cheap that can still get you five, six points. So I personally, I thought it was pretty good. I liked it a lot. Awesome. Awesome. Glad to hear that from a first-time player and happy to have a first-time player with us as well. Yeah. Uh, Sherry, or not Sherry, Shannon made a comment in, in chat about, I uh, wonder how the surveys came out. Uh, the only thing I know about surveys, if you are listening to the show uh, on YouTube or later on SoundCloud or whatever podcasting service you subscribe to, uh, if you have not already seen the fantasy survey come through your email account for your fantasy account, uh, please look for it. Uh, James Ballow put together uh, just a feedback survey from players. Uh, go ahead and take that. I know when I talked to him uh, two weeks ago that he had gotten close to 800 responses to that survey, and he was very happy with that. So, uh, uh, Shannon, I don't know what the surveys said, but I know that uh, James has gotten a lot of responses back, so awesome community for doing that if you've done that already thank you so much if you haven't check it out uh, i know the more that we get uh, the better we can try to make the game next year so interested in seeing what happens you forgot to do it jojo shame, shame. i forgot to do it too i, Jason, I gotta i gotta shame. jump on it i know i saw the email and then it just <laughs> uh i don't know if it locks jojo asked if they still can i don't know uh, i didn't ask james about that if there was any kind of lockout but go ahead and give it a shot if not just hit up james ballow on twitter and just tell him <laughs> what you think uh let's move on to the double game week change and i know that there are some people on twitter who did not like this i know our friend derek did not like this at all from orlando his comments was all points should count i'm interested in seeing what you guys think uh ari if you didn't pick up on some conversations this year in the past with the double game week uh, you would get the double score for both games. So if, like, Ladero, I think he got 13 points in each game, you would have gotten 26 points, and if you captained him, you would have gotten the double of 26 instead of the double of the 13. So that's what we're talking about here. Um, Jason, let's start with you. What did you think of the DGW change? Um, I was skeptical, like, at the beginning, um, but once we went through the process a couple of times, um, I liked it, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to die on the hill of, like, we must, we must hold on to this you know if we went back to something else that'd be fine too sure but I, I did like it i mean i think it's um yeah i mean you know i guess there's some element of the way that it had been done before there was some strategic element to who you chose right you know you were you were making some guesses about you know um do i really think this center back is going to get 120 or 180 minutes right or whatever um Am I willing to like pay up for Diego Valeri, even though he might only get 30 minutes in one game mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and, you know, he's going to play a full 90 in the other game? And do I know which one that is, right? I like the first game that he's in, but I don't like the second game or whatever. Um, so, but I, I, I went up liking it, yeah, and tried to kind of figure out a way to, um, to kind of take advantage of it, I guess you could say, you know? And I mean, one of the things I liked about it would be, like, just as an example, I didn't, I didn't want to be using him, but... Just this past weekend, right, the Bass Double Game Week, I think, or one a couple of weeks ago, um, Valeri was, I mean, I had him on my team up until the moment that lineups came out. I think, was it midweek last week? He didn't start. Yeah, he we came. had a Wednesday game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I went ahead and just decided to pull him. But in theory, you could have said, hey, I know that he's going to come in as a sub for part of this game. I still like that. Plus, I'm sure he's probably going to get 90 minutes in this other game. And you could still get away with using him in a way that maybe you wouldn't necessarily do that if it was, you know, a kind of all or bust kind of thing. But it didn't bother me, ultimately. 
Mike, what'd you think of this one? Um, I think it's it's. I thought it was good considering this year where we had just so many midweek games, trying to predict rotation and is is this team going to be canceled for COVID? I thought it was really really nice to have it for for this season. Um, I, I did think that we saw a lot more variety in picks. Uh, I thought everything was pretty much on the table, um, which is when we talked about proposing this like a year ago was what we were hoping was going to happen, and I think it generally did. Um, I really want to see this happen in like a normal scenario where it's just one or two team double game week teams most of the time. Right. Um, <laughs> not everybody yeah. every week, right? Not exactly. Everyone every week. <laughs> um, I, I think the only thing um, that's disappointing is that I was hoping okay, that part of the week. double game week change was to allow more promotion of the fantasy game near the weekend. So you wouldn't have to have everything by Monday. Obviously, most of that went out the window because pretty much every team locked by Wednesday anyway. Uh, but that would be something I would hope next year could happen. Ari, what about you? After hearing uh, some of what we've talked about, would you have preferred to get bigger scores? No, actually. I've always, in any fantasy sport I play, like I used to run fantasy football with a group of guys for about seven years, and we made it to like when you get to 100 points in a standard league, like you had a solid week. I, I've never been one to be like, oh, the higher the number, the better. I thought it was pretty, at least just from hearing conversations in the past uh, in the Discord group, I think this way sounds 10 times better. I like going into it knowing, like, you could get a, a solid guy in Diego Valeri, but you're taking the risk on him only having one game. Or you may take a guy like, you know, I use him again, like DK or Castellanos, who have two games. And they may get that extra 20 minutes, so they may play 110 minutes between the two games, etc. And just being able to be like, how much can that factor in? Is that second game huge? Or, you know, are you playing, no offense, Cincinnati, for example. And you're like, (laughs) and you're like, am I, like, why would I not go a double game against Cincinnati, for example, if you got Cincy and somebody else who's a pretty, pretty easy to score on. I don't know. I kind of like living up to that chance. Like, I don't want both points. If they really don't do well in game one, I kind of like, once again, they're kind of stressful. Like, I need them to perform game two, or I really made a mistake on this pick. Yeah. Seems like it's a little more manageable um, and less taking the easy way out. So I, I personally think, at least I hope this way goes on forever. I think it's way more fun. Blaine, anything to add? No, this was kind of my rule change that I pushed for hard, and I think it did exactly what I wanted it to do for this game. Um, it, I would say this was the, probably the most successful rule change I've ever seen MLS implement as far as desired goal goes, which is to vary the rosters from week to week and break up template teams. Um, it did its job. Yeah, I think it was a great success at that. We could even see it in round 14, and that was we had a lot of people who – had a lot of double game week players. I mean, we all had a lot of double game week players this week, but people were th- were seeing that Miami versus Cincinnati game and thought, hmm, that's a single game week defender probably, or maybe going for, for Higuain or, or someone that might have been tempted by that. And I know I had a, a player this week, so I think it made single game week teams much more viable during a double game week. I know a lot of us still had plenty of double game week players i think defenders had the biggest benefit 
from this change. If they were able to get one clean sheet, then they got those those bonus points. I mean, they would have gotten all the points before, but you sort of had two shots at getting at a clean sheet, so that made it a little bit easier uh, with some of maybe those riskier picks or if you like the later game, maybe. So um, it, it worked there. Again, with defenders, I think a lot of people were having more arguments for why they liked wingbacks instead of center backs. Just if you had more shots at... Uh, a goal or more more chances at an assist from one of those players with with those two games like that, uh, so that was that was a reason to sort of stack on those guys instead of hoping for some big bonus points for defenders. But uh, but yeah, you guys covered the the rotations that we see sometimes with like Mueller or or Valeri or other players right there. Will they be there? Will they not? So I I loved this change. It definitely also impacted scores. We did not have as many huge blowout scores as we have seen in the past. I mean triple digits. Were they common 140, 150 point games, 160 point games? Um, it did help with score inflation, which was not horrible. Uh, I mean, it, it definitely uh, was a good change, in my opinion, as well. And I hope they do keep this one, regardless of what happens with budgets. I really like the double game weight change as well. Uh, that tends to be the general thought we have in chat as well. Several people were unsure about it, but ended up liking it as it went on. And uh, yeah, yeah, I, th I think it did, did great things this year. All right, let's talk about the Fantasy Champions League playoff system. Mike, what would you think of this one? I thought it was trash when it was announced, and <laughs> had gone through it, it was still trash. And it's a waste of thousands of dollars that I don't know how MLS can justify to itself. I mean, look, it, it, it'd be one thing, I think, had we didn't have COVID and it was longer periods um, instead of just basically like a month sprint. Um, you know, that wasn't really the, the system was, was designed to do. So I understand if you put that caveat, but the bottom line is that we we putting all these gimmicks as far as schedule breaks up, breakups in order to allow MLS opportunities to promote the game to new audiences. And we're like three years now that they've done these gimmicks and three years going, they have not bothered to promote the game whatsoever past the first week of the season. Let's just stop it. Just take that prize money, do something else with it, make it weekly prizes, give it to podcast to promote it. I, I don't care what you do with it. Let's just do it the overall system. Or if you're going to if you're going to do these gimmicks, like you have to actually promote it. And if they're if they're not going to promote it, then it's a waste of time and I don't I don't want to see it again. Let me ask this question in a slightly different way then. If because it sounds more like your problem is with the promotion side than necessarily the idea of the Champions League playoff. If a gimmick like we had the opening weekend challenge in the past we had and we've had this those are pretty much the two that we've had the opening weekend challenge i guess the monthly winners and the the fantasy champions league if a gimmick is going well, to well we be, also had a split season split season in the past two years. Uh, sorry we had split season uh if a gimmick is going to be advertised is going to be supported is this the kind of gimmick you'd like to see or do you prefer some of those other ones I like, like, opening weekend challenge, I think, makes sense. Um, I, I think there are a number of events. We talked in the past about maybe doing a Heineken Rivalry Week challenge, um, you know, because that's the opportunity to bring in a sponsor interest. Um, even if you wanted to do something around the All-Star game, um, I, I think you could have gimmick weeks. Um, I think where I have a problem is with season splits um, because – I mean, especially, like, I think one of the problems that I had was, like, with this is, like, if you 
pretty much if you messed up one week, you didn't make it into the Champions League, whatever one of the, the segments it was. Um, I suspect that's probably going to be true regardless of how long it is. Um, obviously, we'd have to really see it to see how it plays out to be sure. But I'm, I'm fine with doing like advertising and having like special prizes for weeks. I have a problem with we're going to divide the season and do like points resets or, you know, where overall score doesn't matter. Like that, th that's the kind of stuff that I'm just not interested in. I, I would rather have an overall. Um, points matter more i would rather have and if we're going to do gimmicks have it centered on like we're going to do like a special prize for this week and this week alone um and promote it on all the avenues and media to try to bring in new people because that that to me is the point of, of all this stuff it's really the point of prize money is we want to bring in new people to the game so um but i think what the problem is the way they've been doing it has been detracting from the quality of the game that we've played in, and we made a sacrifice for casuals and then we don't attempt to recruit, which is just utterly baffling to me. Well, let's move over to our new player. Ari, what did you think of this uh, Fantasy Champions League gimmick or hook or whatever we want to call it? A little salty because I didn't make it, obviously. <laughs> but, you know, that it's kind of hard to say I didn't really... It didn't really have the wow factor for me. I was more interested in, like my overall ranking just in general and then my um like minnesota united official group ranking mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah um champions league like i i get it and it it's it's an interesting gimmick i'm not gonna you know harp on it too much because like i said i i can't really speak too much of it since i'm not there but um you know i guess it's a toss-up i don't mind if it goes on next year i'll obviously try and make it every year um but at the same time if it if they took it away, I wouldn't be mad either. Like Blame I said, I just sorry. this was the yeah, I just wanted to get. Uh, sorry, I just wanted to get you know see how high I can go, etc. Yeah, yeah. Blank. What about you? It was. I I'm gonna reserve judgment on this one because okay. we didn't get the full like six week sprints that we wanted. It does seem very sprint focused, um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, in theory, I like the idea. Um, I kind of agree with Mike, though. I think promotion is a big issue on it. And I would rather, honestly, I would rather not see it be Champions League, and I would rather see it just be six-week blocks, whatever it, is, whatever it comes out to be through the season, and you award prizes at that point rather than qualifying for the end game and then trying to earn prizes. I would just rather see prizes paid out then and there for top players and then move on, and if you've qualified for one set of prizes, you don't get to qualify again. But it keeps it kind of open, and maybe the prizes get a little bit smaller as the year goes on. I don't care. The first guys to win it get the big prizes, and then they scale down a little bit as those guys drop out, so they do get some benefit for going first. But, yeah, I just I think in theory it kind of works. I don't mind the idea behind it, but in practice this year with COVID and everything, it didn't work at all for me. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I kind of um, take take Blaine's point on, um, you know, uh, this is this was a really strange year, right? So introducing something like this, you know, potentially in a year that is hopefully next year, I'm knocking on on my my table is is less strange, right? Um, would 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 be interesting. Um, 
I, I mean, I like Ari. I, I, I missed out a couple of times. I didn't, I didn't get in. Um, although I do want to go back and see how well I did, the, you know, just playing the last few weeks of the season compared to all the people that were in the fantasy champions league, just to see how many points I got versus how, how they oh, did. Yeah. And I can still right. kind of play on my own, I guess. Right. Um, so yeah, I'd like to see, you know, how it was different. And I don't know, maybe Blaine, maybe some of you guys who looked at, at the fantasy, the, this last round, this fantasy champions league in more detail, some of you were in it. Um, was there anything different to it other than just, hey, these people have already gotten in and this is just a, a more select group to play in, like additional rules or something that says like, you guys got in, which means you played pretty well for a period of time, so we're gonna make it more difficult. I don't think there was, right? It was just playing a game, yeah? Yeah, it was like making a, a special invite-only league is really what it was. Yeah. And so the, uh, I was in it, I qualified in the first chunk and uh, everyone got in there. Have to pause right now and give a shout out to Haitian Zavi, uh, who uh, is a Discord member for MLS Fantasy Boss and won the Champions League. So uh, congrats, man, Congratulations. on that. Yeah. So we had Off definitely some, some good representation fine, from yeah. Discord. Uh, and there, I think uh, Todd Modisette, who's also on the show this year, uh, He did really won. well, Todd Modisette. Yeah, he did really well. Good. So uh, a lot of guys from Discord did really well. So, but congratulations to, to Haitian right there. Did, did very well. But no, you are right. Uh, it was just like another league that had several hundred players, and it was kept your scores from that point on so you're looking at a few hundred points for for the last few few weeks um to get the winner right there from that smaller point and you signed the overall i mean i think it'd be cool if you did like some kind of i don't know you know you this is too complicated and ben bear and those guys would never go for it but like if you qualify why don't you do some kind of knockout thing or something right like have these like four weeks and i don't know put people in a bunch of groups or something if you've got 400 people or however many people you have to qualify Maybe you break that out, you know, into into tiers. Uh, you've got four weeks of this thing. You've got 400 people that qualified, so it's a groups of 100. Okay, top 50 after week one. You guys, get to go oh out. yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, and that you get. We, to we've talked point. about doing like an open cup. I know FPL does a, a version uh, of that. Okay, um, or like doing, you know, head to head, you know, from the start. I don't know if maybe I don't know if you would have time to do a qualifier, um, with the the systems, but I mean. I think that would be a great idea to really promote head-to-head. -head. Uh, I know Reed, Reed loves head-to-head. -head you know, it's not really um, recognized in the prize pool. And I, I, so I would definitely love to see something like that. Yeah, it was kind of broken some this year, too. There were some quirks with, with the UI being able to see players that haven't played. And mm -hmm. I think that got oh, fixed yeah. near the end of the season. But, uh, yeah, it was it was kind of fixed. But, uh, no, I, I think this was cool. I think you guys are right. The the whole COVID thing really impacted it. I think my preference, I liked the opening weekend challenge. I mean, if you could do more than one, I like having an opening weekend challenge because I feel like that helps with hype. But to Mike's point, there needs to be hype from all levels of MLS to help to help do that. And, and I think that's a great opportunity to get people in. I, I also wish that if we're going at gimmicks, we're talking about new gimmicks, I, I wish there were sort of featured leagues that people could join uh selfishly i'm thinking about the mls fantasy boss network of leagues which <laughs> we give out prizes i give out prizes to people in our leagues but if there were leagues like that i know there are other leagues like mine that we're giving some prizes so if there were ways for mls to identify or partner or do some sort of way to promote certain leagues like i think wrong side of the pond did some stuff and i think michael parkhurst did something with him etr did something but it's like like here are 10 leagues that 
do their own prize thing. It's not MLS, it's separate. It's like if, if they could promote that in addition to an opening weekend challenge or a Champions League, that sort of gives you a ongoing, like a middle goal to, to shoot for. Just something else that is not just, oh, I messed up at the first week of the season, well, I'm done with this game, or I didn't make the Champions League, now I'm done with this game. But if you had just get that, build that community. And that's what I'm all about, community building. So, um, But no, it's all right. Okay, hot and cold on the Champions League. No problem. We'll see what kind of gimmick we get in 2021. Do we think we could, um, how about since Continental Tire does much sponsorships, could we have like a Continental Tire will buy you four new tires for your car? <laughs> that sounds great to me. <laughs> Look, my car got a flat this morning picking up storm debris, up some nails. So I, that is a very timely prize that I could use. <laughs> I'm just thinking out loud, man. I don't know. I, but that's, that I just need one, it. Continental. Come on. <laughs> I just go for snow tires every year. You need new ones because they just wear out so quick. So I take them. There we go. No, that's a great idea. Uh, let's okay. No. <laughs> last, yeah, down there. Last, uh, re, last change. Unless you guys have one you want to throw up. I'm gonna go with you again with this one, Mike, because I know this is something that you have been deep into. But the price change system. Uh, we didn't really see a change in how the price change system worked this year. As far as like, we still had the three week average. We still had the five week average with an emphasis more on sort of recent form. But there were definitely tweaks into how severe maybe that's the right word or, or how big of a jump a player might get so mike based on your experience with the price change algorithm in 2019 uh, from what we saw in 2020 did you think this algorithm was better so i thought it worked pretty well up front i thought the only time where i was like i don't know if this is working the way they wanted to was in the back i thought defenders got kind of too expensive um, I think goalkeepers probably got too expensive. Whereas basic and it's it's just kind of weird because you had the COVID issue, so you're basically I mean almost every team is playing two games a week, or most so you're just getting huge chumps of data. So you're just having like really big swings. Yeah. Um. And and, and a lot of teams were kind of like the, the teams that were good were good because they were playing the same bad offensive teams multiple times. And so they were just like really racking up clean sheets. And so that was my, I my only kind of criticism. And I mean, I haven't like sat down and looked at numbers to kind of figure out if one ended up being better than the other, but that was the kind of only thing that I saw. Um, I think the other thing is that I mean, we talked about Ladero and Pozuelo. Um, we really didn't have what we usually have, which is like some forwards going crazy off and racking up ridiculous amounts of points to the point where they be, may get to the higher echelons past like 14, you know, had Carlos Vela played this season, what would have been like, um, I think that would have been an interesting challenge to the system, but as it stands right now, that was my only question is I don't know if the defenders really fit what they were looking for. And, and maybe, maybe that is, maybe they wanted to really throw us a curveball and like, hey, <laughs> defenders from the good teams, you're not having them unless you pay a premium. So that's kind of the only thing that I know that really have changed from this year to, to last year. From Blaine, last year, Blaine, you had some experience with the, the formula last year as well. Yeah. Um, I kind of, I think this price change system only works in the fixed budget. I think it was a little too wild and would completely destroy a budgeting game 
with the way it is. That said, I've always described this as a corrective formula. It's designed if you've got a guy that's four million and he is going off scoring double digit points every game, he is going to price himself up closer to that premium in short order. Um, I think we saw it with a few players that they started off in the sixes, maybe six, five, seven. And after a few really good weeks, they were rocking nine, five, ten. I mean, it corrected Morgan. really fast. And I always felt like I was paying a pretty fair price for the production I was getting. Um, and for the production I was expecting, I was ha- and that, that made me feel good. Uh, but I will echo what Mike said. Defenders got crazy fast. Um, I don't know if James or anybody's going to listen to us on this. Uh, my suggestion would be to do everything the exact same with defenders next year, but multiply their but their price point by 0.75. So don't even don't even bother with the six million starting point. Give them the eight million, ten million starting point like every other position has, and then multiply their price by like 0.75 and just chop off that top end number, and goalkeepers as well. That would help so much just to keep these prices down. Um, I run one of my favorite stats in the game is um, dollars per, per fantasy point. And I love seeing who's got the, who's the best value and who's not. And some of this depends on how well they did, what team they were on and like their recent run of form. Like Brooks Lennon is at 77,000 per fantasy point. That's not terrible. It's actually really good, but he had that really good run of games there in the middle and scored a ton of points. And then he's, tailed off here at the end and dropped a lot of value. I think he I think he priced himself up to almost 10 million and he's sitting at 7.8 here at the end. But I say that to go like that's what he did at the end. Mark McKenzie has had a pretty good year all year. Mm-hmm. He's at 87,000 per fantasy point. Mid-sum. And then you got to scroll a long ways down to find Walker Zimmerman and he's 104 per fantasy point. And he was one of the top defenders all year, but he priced himself out that when you look at this, you've got to pay for your top guys, but defenders are so weird that they're their own thing. And you can get a lot better returns for your money if you avoid the top end guys. Um, I know we had the debate in those last weeks. Do you take Zimmerman or do you take Romney when you're looking at Nashville? Do you pay the extra to get the extra production from Zimmerman well, the game says no. He's at a hundred, hundred and four thousand per fantasy point, and Romney's sitting in top ten at seventy-eight thousand per fantasy point. So you're getting a better return on your investment with Romney, all the way around, unless you just have budget wasted on your bench, and then you can spend it on Zimmerman to make more. So, I don't think the price change system did defenders justice, but everywhere else it seems to have worked. Um, I can think of a few years ago, Orlando had a the young striker Kyle Lauren come up, and he was just fantasy gold all season long because his price point stayed really low because of the way that algorithm worked. Um, this year, DK came on so strong, and he priced himself up to about where he should have been. Yeah, He wasn't a premium. He wasn't really a second-tier guy. He was kind of that third-tier guy. But when he hit, he hit, and he you could invest in him, but he corrected to where he should have been, so... I really liked it. The wild swings only work in a fixed budget, but defenders need a little bit of tweaking still. Well, since you mentioned keepers, and since we have Ari on here, we're going to have to mention St. Clair with an (laughs) 11.1 million goalkeeper. He got nine points in round 14. Uh, But, uh, yeah, I know, Ari, you don't have any experience with with the old system, but what did you think about 
the price changes for players? You know, it was very tough because there were guys that you, you know, I had Dane St. Clair a couple times when I, you know, I couldn't fully decide who I'm picking each week. And then you're like, you know what, let's just homer it on a couple of, <laughs> a couple of Minnesota defenders. Yeah, not bad. No. I took your advice a while back and I went with the defender goalie combo and I was like, might as well boomer bust your own team by doing a little uh, double there. And I noticed it was good for a while, but it got scary because yeah. when you have a guy like St. Clair, you're excited. You're like, oh, the budget's fine. I'm always within budget. I'm not too worried. But that's when he was priced at six, seven million. And you're like, okay, it's Minnesota at home. We, we do very well at home. We have a much better chance at the clean sheets at home. But then you get to your final three weeks and you're like, man, I want him because we're at home against, you know, a Cincinnati, for example. You're like, I can't spend $11 million on a goalie. And <laughs> I know. I'll pick that up real quick in the Discord chat, too. And people are like, no, fine. Whoever the $4 million keeper is going right away, put him on your bench in the goalie spot. Put a scrub in in the goalkeeper spot. And you get the free game for $4 million, whatever keeper that may be. But, no, I think just from the defender standpoint also, because I noticed I was kind of looking back at my week ones, week twos, and I was hitting on my defenders because I was taking Mensa and a fool multiple times, and Columbus was just on a tear back then. Yep. Um, and so I was kind of riding that throughout the season on like defenders. But yeah, it got very tricky when all of a sudden, you know, you could have your Pozuelos at the beginning of the year and still have a Tinner home a Mensa right away. But near the end of the season, you couldn't do that. Now you have to find that middle tier um, defender or keeper and. You know, hope a guy like Robles would hit when he was uh, playing for you know only six million instead of ten. So it was it was interesting, but definitely got stressful near the end when you you realize like eleven million for a keeper that that can't be normal. Like, yeah, it's way too high. Granted, I got to give him credit for being twenty three years old. I was very pleased with that Dan St. Clair did play, and I did look up that stat today on my lunch break. The six for thirteen. So <laughs> I was pretty proud to yeah. see that one. Jason, what about you? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I have too much to add, although I would just say I think Mike's point about um, not not you don't have like a Joseph Martinez this year, right? Somebody who's just out killing it at the striker position. And it would have been interesting to see what that what those algorithms start to look like and how it affects your budget. If, you know, like Ari said, hey, man, I never had a problem with if I wanted to have Ladero and Pozuelo on my team, I could always afford both of them. So what happens? you know, next year when you've got like a couple of really premium midfielders that are priced pretty high, and maybe you have this striker that you want to try and pick up too, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, that's more about the the strategy. And the defender thing is, um, yeah, I, I'd be interested to have somebody tell me, um, so first Blaine pointing out, like, I got to start paying much more attention to like uh, uh, dollars per fantasy point. Like I hadn't even thought about looking at that stat, but it's a good stat to look at. Um, but the other thing, I'd be interested to have somebody tell me, like, what was Tinnerholm's value at the end of last season, for example, mm. right? Or somebody like that. Was it that high? And I just, I went back and forth on being able to stomach spending that much money. I mean, I definitely carried Walker Zimmerman a bunch of weeks for the end of the season, you know. Or, um, you know, maybe Reto Ziegler or somebody in that level. And then I would just try and find some other defenders to, to put in there. But, I, you know, I don't know. That, that's more strategy to me than anything else, I think, as far as. Yeah, I think you guys, 
I think you guys nailed a lot of the points. The defenders definitely hurt at times, but I think we still had enough of those value ones that made it easy. Especially Miami had several value options throughout the year. And Dallas uh, had some had some options that, that made it easier to take some of these players. Uh, but for, for me, ultimately, thinking back to the time, my favorite price change has always been players changing value based on their score to other players in their position. So uh, depending on how well a defender does compared to other defenders, that's based on the change. And that was, oh, I guess maybe three years now whenever we had that system. And that was always my favorite just because, like I said, I like our point system because it's based on how players do their job. I liked that price change system because it was it was price, did you succeed versus other defenders who were also succeeding or fail versus other people? How much did you fail? So I enjoyed that system from a few years ago. But with what we have, based on what we had last year with this same algorithm, I did think this algorithm was better, but we probably could use some adjustments with, with defenders if that's possible. All right, so those are the four main changes I had. Did I miss anything that you guys want to, to bring out right now? Chat, is there anything that uh, that we missed a change in the game this year? Um, I know we had had the two levels of prizes, so a little bit more prizes went out. We still had the prizes with, with the leagues here. Speak now if ever hold your peace. Did we miss anything? All right, I think that's all the major stuff right here. Uh, a little bit of housekeeping before we get on to our fantasy awards. Uh, just want to let everyone know uh, for the MLS Fantasy Boss Network of Leagues, uh, I have not announced the winners yet. Those leagues are, of course, the MLS Fantasy Boss Official League, the r slash fantasy MLS Reddit Official League, and the Patreon League. Um, I'm going to be reviewing teams and, re and registrations tomorrow. I mostly just gave it a couple of days to see if there's any point adjustments that happen before I start going through. Uh, just a reminder for everyone, of course, the way I do it is uh, there's no double dipping allowed, so you can't win first place in all three and get all three things. Uh, for those of you in Patreon League, you don't have to worry about registration. You're already uh, a Patreon member. I've got your registration right there, so you're covered with that, uh, and I can get you taken care of. But if you do want to register, that's fine too. Never going to turn that down. But I'm going to go through and, and look everything up tomorrow. I think all the price changes have happened. And people will receive the highest prize that they qualify for. So if you didn't finish in the top three, you are not out by any way, shape, or form right here. Because if people didn't register, they're not eligible. So I've, I've gone down to like into the teens before for people who get prizes here and this is uh, mls gift cards to the mls store so uh, if people have already won and if people didn't register then i can get down there to 13 14 19 stuff like that so uh, you are not out of it i'm going to be looking over that i will be contacting people by email afterwards you'll have a week to respond to my email or i go down again to the next eligible person so uh that's it just wanted to get that out there that uh that will be coming out soon and i'll make that announcement on twitter for that so good luck to everybody there i hope that came through drum roll here we are the fantasy awards i had a couple of massive twitter sessions over this past week where i uh, sent out requests for fantasy award categories and then uh twitter polls for nominees to see what we have i reserve the right we the round table reserve the right to overturn 
any vote that happened. Uh, sorry for that, but uh, it's it is definitely weighted. Where I took a lot of uh, consideration of what the people said they wanted. I think you guys did really well, but there are definitely some conversations I think we should have that that may adjust some of our overalls. So let's start with the big one, guys. Fantasy most valuable player. The three players that were nominated, uh, we had Ladero. Uh, 137 fantasy points over 16 games. Pozuelo, 144 points over 19 games. And Santos over at Philadelphia with 85 points over 19 games. Uh, we may have had a couple others in the initial nominating, but these are the three guys who got the most nominees. Uh, the ultimate winner here is Ladero. Do you all agree with this? Because I think there could be a pretty big snub right here. I'm okay with Ladero, personally. Okay with Ladero? Anybody? Mm -hmm. Does anybody think we're... I think Morgan, right here with Miami, 149 points. I believe the top scoring midfielder in the game. Is that right? Did I get my numbers wrong? 149 points over 20 games. He was a pretty... Double-check me, someone right there. Blaine, you had a weird look on your face. Um, you're... No, um, I get I get the Morgan shout. I really do. 149 points over 20 games, but Ladero had 150 points over 17 games. If you take his average, I mean, Ladero's got an 8.82 average. That's 1.3 higher than everybody else who played at least 10 games in the entire thing. Uh, Pozuelo's at a 7.5. Uh, Morgan's at a 7.4. Rui Diaz is at a 7.4. Um, it, it's going to be really hard to make a case that doesn't, um, overshadow uh, Ladero's 8.8 .8 points a game this year. That's just too big, and he's the only player with 10 or more games that averaged higher than 8. And, I mean, he's 8.8. .8. He, he's pushing 9. Uh, your next best is, if you round it, Pozuelo at 7.6. Like, that's just ridiculously high for Ladero, all things considered. If you're picking somebody else, you're not looking at the stats. <laughs> Everybody agree? Is it Ladero? I'm fine so. with it being Ladero. I just wanted to, I, I wanted to mention Morgan because he had the highest fantasy points. He was a, a beast with with Miami this year. Skyrocketed up with his value. Uh, was definitely the better premium Miami player to pick from throughout the year. So, but I, I wanted to mention him at least have a little bit of conversation there. Yeah, but, and and if you do this, um, if we had a category for breakout player of the year, Morgan would win it hands down. Like, he is a guy that almost nobody knew coming into the season. Nobody expected anything from him. And he's the guy ending as a super premium coming out of nowhere. We all expected Ladero and Pozuelo to be at the top of this list. Um, we could see Rui Diaz and Pedro Santos being up there. Um, Jaime Montero from Philly being up there near the top isn't a huge shock given the way he's played. Morgan is the one that I don't think anybody would have had him as a top 10 fantasy prospect preseason. Sure. I think it's pretty, uh, it's pretty obvious. Uh, Ladero and Pozuelo, obviously mentioning Discord again. Those were two players that the names every week were up yeah. there for which one are you taking or are you somehow taking both? So obviously, you know, to me, it came down to those two. The reason I chose Ladero is because I had Pozuelo the week he had that penalty kick that he tried to, uh, you know, look <laughs> on. And I remember that watching that game, you know, I had my double screens on downstairs, one of which has three games on, one's got two. So I'm, you know, I'm watching it all, and I, my eyes turn to Toronto when he's getting the uh, 
the PK and I'm getting excited and I'm looking at my, you know, my fantasy lineup and then boom, he tries getting cute and it, it just melted me. It hurts so bad. I don't know why, but you're, I'm, I'm just a basic boring soccer guy. You have a penalty, you just rip it and shoot it and score. You don't get fancy, <laughs> don't do anything, just take your two steps and score. So that one really irritated me. Yeah. yeah. So I had to go with Ladero just out of spite. No, I get it. I get it. Uh, Ladero had 69% of the vote right there with that poll. So, yes, I, uh, I would agree. Fantasy MVP. Uh, let's go on to Fantasy Defender of the Year. I had several nominations here. The, the top three uh, ended up being, for the poll, uh, Tinnerholm, Zimmerman, and McKenzie. Uh, maybe some snubs here. I know we had uh, several guys who did well. Ziegler was one that did well. Uh, Mensa was one that did well. Uh, Figueroa from Houston did, did well throughout the year as well for a period of time. He was very high up there. But these are the three uh, that got mentioned a lot in the nominations, and I think they're they're a good representation. Tinnerholm, 123 points over 20 games. Zimmerman, 126 points over 20 games. And McKenzie over there at Philadelphia, 130 points over 19 games um just to throw out there because i mentioned him mensa was 144 over 20 games uh, so what we have here as the final tally with 57 percent of the vote goes to tenor home tenor boom uh one of my favorite defenders here do you all agree with this vote uh, blaine i see your head is shaking no no um if you're gonna go like i'm a huge fan in this year for points per game um mckenzie 6.8 is uh best points per game of anybody it's uh, 0.5 clear of zimmerman and tinnerholm actually comes in third on points per game um maybe you give tinnerholm some props because of what i'm gonna say next he did it with a, a slightly worse defense all the way around um but a guy, a name I would throw out there as probably one of my favorite candidates, and Jason might go nuts on me for this, but I like Donovan Pines. That defense was atrocious this year, and he finished top 10 in points, top 10 in points per game. Really? Playing for an atrocious defense, yes. I mean, he is maybe not top 10 for points. There's some guys down there that played more games, but points per game, he's definitely top 10. Only played 16 games, still managed 95 points. Wow. Like, I would throw him out there because his offensive production was consistent there at the end. Um, he is a guy you could count on. And defenders are such a weird thing in fantasy. You're Half the time you're banking on the team, not just the name. Pines was a guy you were banking on the name, not on the team. Um, we talked about it. Zimmerman, you could take Zimmerman or you could take Romney, who has better points for the money you were spending. Uh, Tinnerholm was kind of that go-to guy, so I can see where he get where he gets a lot of credit. McKenzie was just another face and on a good defense, but I mean Pines there down the stretch, 16 games played and just way up there. I would I would be tempted to give him the nod on this just for everything he did um, playing for a, a worse team. I think if DC somehow fixes the defense next year, Pines is going to be one of those elite guys that we're all going to be after. I think he had a grand total of one clean sheet for the season and he managed 95 points in 16 games. You look at everybody else, they've got more clean sheets than that. They're, they're getting their points from somewhere else. Pines was just consistently one of those guys that was producing fan for fantasy outside of clean sheets. 
Uh, one quick correction. I, I said 144 for Mensa. I meant 114 uh, for Mensa. Mm -hmm. uh, Jason, we heard some good things about Pines right there. Oh. Do you agree with that, Snub, or...? I mean, uh, I would say... I think I'd probably take Mark McKenzie, um, and I probably should have carried Mark McKenzie on my team a lot more than I did. Um, but I had no idea, Blaine, that those numbers were, uh, I mean, what I was going to say, I mean, as like a, I don't know, a shout out or, or something at the end of the show is if you want to, if you want to keep an eye on somebody for next season, Donovan Pines is a defender that I would keep an eye on. Right. I mean, he, as Blaine said, um, the team was garbage. The back line was garbage. We, you know, gave up so many goals. Um, and, but he was the one for me, you know, on the back line was a great player this season. I just didn't realize that he, I mean, he got, he got some headers, he got some goals. I just didn't realize he had done that well. So, um, uh, yeah, I'd go Mark McKenzie, but, um, definitely worth keeping an eye on Blade for sure. Yeah. I hadn't, I didn't realize his, his numbers are that good. Yeah. This one was tough for me. And, and I think this is sometimes, uh, where I find myself, differing from some of the picks that Skyler makes on on his articles for for the top players is is the, the price of the player and and Zimmerman with that 13.1 million I mean I know he was aerial threat I know he made the other defenders around him better so he was definitely a defender of the year from MLS point of view candidate as an option uh but but Tenor Holm maintained a fairly reasonable price a lot of the year he has been a consistent offensive threat for for fantasy uh i think he was four and four four goals and four assists which is not shabby for a defender as, as a wing back uh decent number of clean sheets at times not the best year for new york city fc for for clean sheet chances but uh but that has been been something for him so uh, i i I am fine with Tinnerholm being the fantasy defender of the year just because of him having a good balance between defensive point generation ability, offensive point generation threat, and a reasonable value so he's attainable. Because that's the problem I have with Zimmerman. McKenzie's real close in this conversation too because 11 wasn't too, too bad, but 13 was really like, well, I'm just going to get Romney. And, and is that someone who can be your fantasy player of the year when you're like, nah, give me the cheaper guy? And and so that that's a big impact for me. And I think and I think Tinnerholm treads that line because McKenzie was like that sometimes for me too. I, I was just like, uh, who could I get that's maybe a little bit cheaper in Philadelphia this time? But but when I wanted a New York defender, it was it was uh, Tinnerholm. When I wanted an offensive person, I'm usually thinking Tinnerholm and awful. As first, some of the first two names I'm thinking for offensive defenders. So um, I'm okay with that. Ari, Mike, you guys have any? Do we have? A, do we need to break a tie or anything here? No. I I was just gonna say. I mean, the whole defender, defending in general. I feel like just kind of looking back at it, that was almost what I paid the most attention to this year. Which, and I guess I give that 100% credit to me going with Mensa. You know week two, week three. I think I started and joined like the Discord and the Patreon in week four. I was looking through and I didn't know anything about switcheroos or keeperoos. And I <laughs> and, uh, you know, bit my tongue on that when I saw my first three weeks of lineups. But once I joined it, I kind of learned about it. And I was going with Mensa those first few weeks when Columbus was on a tear. 
Um, that's why I actually was one of the people in uh, Twitter that did say Mensa as an MVP just because when I think of defenders and how much value one point can mean. I mean, you get one point from anyone and you can jump your overall rank by six, seven people even. So when you get a guy like Mensa or Valenzuela or Afoul, anyone on that Columbus back line at the beginning of the year that was getting a clean sheet two out of three games, you know, to me that was huge. So I'm thinking that's five whole bonus points added to my team. That's a huge shift. Now, granted, I became the guy who couldn't let him go, even though he didn't start, to, or even though he started to decline quite a bit, or Columbus as a whole. But to me, that value of getting a clean sheet can be huge because five points. I mean, that's that's the yeah. equivalent of a goal, and that's just getting a clean sheet. And you know, once again, you're playing a team who doesn't score much, or you know, you're playing like Minnesota. Whoever comes to Minnesota, they don't always score. That's big, and to look into that and find out who has the best probability on those clean sheets to me that's kind of fun it's kind of exciting when you're watching the games going can i make it the last you know 40 minutes with my guy in and get those five points so yeah. i personally went with mensa but i'll give i'll give the nod to tinner home it's kind of hard to go against him mike i'll let you get the final voice here since he is from your new york city fc yeah i mean clearly i'm gonna vote for tinner home uh, <laughs> the only thing i mean i think the price i think is a big uh point in his favor uh, I think having most of his op- point production be offensive points was also great because you weren't needing a clean sheet mm-hmm. out of him. Um, so you're a lot more free to pick him regardless of matchups. And finally, he has a nickname. He's Tinnerboom. Tinner None of these other guys have nicknames. Why, why are we even having this conversation? <laughs> Boom, there we go. No, I agree. That's it. You guys make some good arguments about McKenzie uh, and about Zimmerman in particular and Pines. Uh, but but I'm going to go with, with the vote here that we had on Reddit, uh, which was 57% for Tinnerboom for Tinnerhome. All right. Number three. This is uh, the award for the fantasy player who was worth the price. I uh, only had the final prices right here, but we had the top three players that were mentioned. Uh, again, Santos, who ended at 94 Ladero, who ended at 14.3, and Morgan, who ended at 12.6. Not on this list, who I'm going to say is a snub, was Pozuelo, who was 12.9. I believe these players had been higher at times throughout the season. Uh, But we have those three players right here. If you guys think we should put Pozuelo in there, uh, he was 12.9. But uh, going to Reddit, the poll gave this one to Ladero with 45.8% of the vote do we agree with this one ladero the mvp does that automatically make him always worth the price i think it's hard to say no to that i mean like i said every week it was ladero or pozuelo Mm -hmm. and everyone said you know oh my god they're so expensive but yet when it came down to two hours before game times and you know even a half hour when the lineups were coming out you never heard people say, oh, yeah, I don't have him in anymore. I subbed him out. Everyone always found a way to keep either Ladero or Pozuelo in. And at least from what it sounds like, obviously, as a rookie, I didn't know about last year. But they were very expensive players. You had to really think about, if I take them, what am I going to sacrifice? Yep. Someone like me who likes or who's willing to spend a little more on defenders, um, that was a big issue for me. And that's why towards the end of the season I started saying, you know, risk it for the biscuit. I'm gonna, I'm gonna not play either Ladero or Pozuelo, and try for someone else. But 
I think it's a pretty clear-cut winner, Ladero, and yes, I think Pozuelo did get snubbed for that reason. Uh, yeah, maybe Pozuelo should have been on here. I mean, Santos at 9.4 isn't too bad of a price. Uh, for me, what ultimately takes this is uh, exactly what you were saying, Ari. When you're looking at what you have to sacrifice, if you're looking at a Toronto player, you're going to be going with Pozuelo. It, very rarely were you even going to consider... Uh, Josie, or if you wanted to go with somebody else, there were going to be a budget already with 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 Mullins right there. So there, there you had it. Uh, with Philadelphia, it was it was the same way. I mean, you were probably going to go with Shabilko, if not him, then maybe Aaron's. I mean, it, it wasn't this this tough decision. But when you were talking about Seattle, I mean, you were looking at Rui Diaz, you were looking at Jordan Morris, and you were looking at Ladero, and those were very real decisions you had to make to yourself. Of like, am I going to be able to afford two of those guys? If I can only afford one. Who do I want? And for me, it always became Ladero. That that could be because I have a midfielder bias with that money. But when you had those legitimate, tough decisions of, man, do I want to get uh, my eggs in the basket of Rui Diaz? Or Jordan Morris, who was also fairly expensive at times as well throughout this season. Uh, for me, many times it was like Ladero. He's worth that extra money because of the potential that he has. I think this conversation is perfect for the price per fantasy point metric to come in. Um, and it's kind of a toss-up here. Um, Morgan Santos and actually Valeri, who ha we haven't talked about, all hit in that mid-80,000 um, 80, 80, per point. Um, Ladero's 96 with the way the season ended. Pozuelo's 90. Um, this this number really changes. It's like, who at what point, or the big question I like to ask is, at what point are you spending money and not getting a good return on it? Can you downgrade Ladero to somebody else and still get a good return on the money you're spending? And the answer at times was yes. About the point where that drops off is around the Valeri mark. That's when you start seeing if you're going to take somebody other than Valeri, you start dropping off drastically on your points production. And it's, just, it's a weird one. Uh, I think think all things considered um with the mvp race and everything morgan gets my vote for for it i think okay. i think he's got the the points for the money spent plus he's got the overall top score i mean he just he hits both the value side and the top score side together that really he is the most important or the or the best bang for your buck you could get all the way around not sacrificing your ceiling for your whole team, but making the smartest use of your money you can get. A fair argument. A fair argument. Um, I think ultimately we're going to go with Ladero, though, uh, since we are talking about spending the big money, and if you're willing to pull that trigger, Blaine makes an excellent argument for bang for buck, which maybe that should have been uh, one of our one <laughs> of our rewards. But for spending this money, we're going to give it to Ladero. Okay, let's move on to the next one. This one I really enjoyed, and I think there is at least one legitimate conversation here. This is the fantasy flop of the year. Looks like it's it's a no-brainer. Uh, we have Chicharito, we have Altador, and we have Gonzalo Higuain right here. And right now on Reddit, it's closed, so there's not going to be any more votes. 89.3% to Chicharito right here as the fantasy flop of the year and i'm gonna go ahead and say should it be higuain because they have a lot of parody and how much at least at one point maybe that at the end it got a little weird but uh at one point in the season higuain had played as much as chicharito and had not done any better when he was supposed to have this big impact and just 
go away with or just tear just just go crazy here and he was not putting those goals in the back of the net uh, as as you would want so is Higuain maybe doesn't take it away from Chicharito but is he should he be more than 6.8% of this vote is Higuain a fantasy flop on the same level of Chicharito what do you all think yeah we were having the conversation earlier I mean I I was going to vote for Higuain because I just because I guess I didn't pay too much attention to Chicharito, frankly. Like he, I just wasn't paying that much attention to him. So I just figured he wasn't playing. <coughs> but, but you know, Reed, you're saying that they played about the same amount. I don't know. I mean, I think I would still give it to Iguain. I definitely wouldn't give it to Josie because I mean, you know, he didn't play at all. How can he flop if he's not playing? No, you know? no, I think that's fair. I mean, I feel like people threw him in there more because of what they expected out of him. Because because Josie gets a lot of hate. <laughs> because Josie gets a lot of hate. No, I, I think I think Josie has done wrong being on on this list. Um, yeah. I think it really does come down to, let me see if I can find the numbers real quick. Cause that was a stat I heard uh, earlier in the season. So let's go inner Miami Higuain at the end of the season, or at least as much as the fantasy game is going to give me stats for, uh, he played 802 minutes, one goal and two assists. So those are his final scores. Meanwhile, looking over at Chicharito, at the end of the fantasy season, he played 668 minutes with one goal. So he's played about 150 fewer minutes, 140 fewer minutes right here. So at one point, we're looking at when Higuain was around that 600-minute mark is when they were being compared, and he had really only had one goal. So now that he's played more minutes, that's the argument. I mean, I could see Higuain being the bigger flop because he was billed as supposing to be so much of a savior for Miami coming in midseason, give them this boost, make them be successful. Chicharito was a huge signing for LA, but they still had those pieces uh, with Pavone that were around there and everyone that they had with, with Dos Santos that could be a part of that team. Uh, Chicharito was the star, but um, I, I lean towards Higuain as my vote but Chicharito is so overwhelming in in the poll that, that I'm okay giving it to Chicharito. But what about you, Ari? What do you think? Yeah, I was just kind of looking also at the uh, MLS standings regarding that uh, for fantasy player because both players, Iguain and Chicharito, when they came into this league, I mean, the buzz around them was huge. And you're expecting it to be. They're supposed to be, you know... Everyone says you come here from Europe. Like, Europe is a top – a lot of these guys come from these top leagues, etc. So you get a guy like Iguain coming from Juventus. You expect he's going to come in and kind of run the show in Miami. And that didn't seem to be the case, as we see with, like, Morgan. Morgan was kind of the star of the team. And when you look at something like that, you almost think, like, yeah. Like, it never really hit me. I'm looking at Iguain's stats, and you're like, I expected – you know, you expect a little more out of somebody – coming from such a top-tier club and joining just the way he joined. You know, you expect more from him, and I I don't think I saw that. So, yeah, I think looking back at it, I should have picked Iguain. I think I clicked out the door just because I had no clue and wanted to find him. And, you know, it's out the door, so I still remember U.S. Trinidad and Tobago type game. So still still salty on that one. So I just said out the door. But, no, honestly, I think – Looking at you, you kind of have to go, Iguain. As much as Chicharito was, like, bad, I think the hype around 
him joining Inter Miami and not performing is crazy because they, like I said, they, they made the playoffs. So we'll, I guess we'll see how he steps up for his team during playoffs. But he really didn't shine like most people were expecting him to. So, so Shannon just you. made a Shannon made a really good point in chat right now, and, and I I could really look to this as as justifying a Chicharito vote. Chicharito made the other players worse. Like I mean, we know uh, that when Chicharito did not play, Pavone was great. Like you almost like, hey, Chicharito's not playing great. Give me Pavone. That's that's awesome. But when Chicharito played, he subtracted from the fantasy potential. Uh, I do remember people talking about Higuain saying that there were times when he wasn't taking shots because he was sort of becoming a distributor because he didn't have all those great pieces to just send in the ball. I mean, he had Morgan and he had some others, but he, he didn't have as much as he had when he was at like Juve. So um, I, I, I see Shannon's point and, and that would make me comfortable at going with Chicharito again, but he was a negative impact mm-hmm. on the fantasy potential where Higuain just didn't live up to our expectation. See, and I, I don't feel like we're being fair to Iguain here. Um, and I, I said this before the show, and I think it's a good time to bring it up here. And it's kind of one of those fantasy rules you live by. We said it on the show. We said it multiple times. I want to see a midseason transfer p- perform before I invest. Iguain came in at nine to ten million. He was fairly expensive. I wanted him to prove it before I would take him. I didn't put him in my lineup once this year, and he cannot be considered a flop for me because of that. Fair. Um, we have a history of this. Dempsey came in. We all have fond memories of Dempsey and MLS doing crazy things for the fantasy game. His first year, he sucked. Everybody's first year, especially if it's half a season, they really suck. You don't take them in fantasy. I think the only midseason transfer that had wild success in it in the fantasy game is Ladero. That's the only one I can think of that had wild success. So if you're going to call Iguain a flop because he didn't produce, you shouldn't take him in the first place. Like that's just a, that's just one of those golden rules you go by. Iguain got 38 points in nine games. That's not good, but that's not terrible. Your flop this year is Josie Altidore. He got 34 points in 11 games. That's it. He played more games, more minutes than Iguain and got fewer fantasy points. He is on the second best team in MLS this year, five points per game. He got 34 fantasy points. Io Akinola looked great when he was healthy. Outscored Josie. This team is built to supply a striker. This team has pieces. Josie did nothing with the supporting cast that was around him. I'll give Chicharito a pass. It's his first year in the league, and he is playing on an awful team. This team is so top-heavy with Pavone and Leggett, and then they've got a bunch of kids that we don't trust to do anything. I don't know who on that team outside of Pavone I was ever even interested in taking other than Leggett a few weeks. L.A. doesn't have a team around them. Chicharito is not the guy that's going to create for everybody else. He's the guy that relies on everybody else to create for him. That's the way he's played his entire career. He doesn't have guys around him outside of Pavone that are really creating for him, and he and Pavone were competing a little too much. I didn't expect as much from Chicharito. I never put him in my lineup this year either. Just the way L.A. played, where they finished in the overall table, 
everything about LA said, avoid this team. Everything about Toronto said, grab these players. These players should do good. And Josie sucked this year. 34 points is all you need to know from a striker on the number two team in MLS. Works. Uh, I I have been swayed by Shannon and some of the conversations that we have here. So I am uh, going to certify what we have on Twitter and go with Chicharito as the fantasy flop of the year with 89.3% of the vote. Moving on to number five. This one's a fun one. Uh, this is the fantasy scrub of the year. And so maybe the maybe this one won't last to next year or, or maybe this the the name wasn't right but this is the guy this is the scrub that you always wanted to have on your team to, to make your switcheroos work i mean this is the guy that was always going to be there i will say that i missed out on 12 points off my bench for rossi in this week 14 because my vancouver scrub came in and played for one minute so thanks a lot guys thanks a lot uh Anyway, so what we have here uh, for our, our top three, uh, there were several other guys that were mentioned, but here are, are uh, the three that ended up being on top. We have Ben Lunt, the uh, FCC keeper. We have uh, Gianfranco Facciarini, which I don't know if you all just suggested that one to hear me try to say it or not, but uh, a Vancouver defender who was uh, traded to a Canadian Premier League team but stayed in the game. Uh, and then Kyle Adams, Houston defender uh 4.0 guys right here and uh this was a fairly close one and some of it probably depended on the position you were going for but with 45.2 percent of the vote uh it went to uh Facciarini, the vancouver defender i am okay with this one just because he was loaned to the canadian premier league team so like the guy was not going to come back so he was locked in as a scrub it's not a guy with a knock not a guy like i suffered from uh, who came on at at the last one minute uh of play time but it was a guy who was not going to play because he was no longer in the 18 no longer in the team because he was loaned but still in the game reminded me of the days where if you got a player in your team at the first week who ended up not being there and he was taken out of the selection if you had him in your team he would stay there you just had to live with that guy forever but as a 4.0 scrub so I don't know if you guys want to talk much about this one because I think I'm, I'm all behind this. Unless you guys have another name, are we going to go with Facciarini, the Vancouver defender 4.0? JoJo sums it up best. Yep. Facciarini had the late, one of the latest kickoff times. If he wasn't in that's the a good point. couple game week, that's what got my vote for Facciarini. Yeah. Um, you're always looking at that kickoff time. And your West Co there's a West Coast bias here. And Facciarini being sold or loaned out or whatever absolutely no chance to play on a west coast time slot yeah absolutely uh, i didn't realize the dude had been loaned out i just kept looking every week and it's like oh he's not available okay <laughs> yeah, that's what it was I mean, it took me a second to dig for it but yeah i think that's what it was he was loaned to a canadian premier league i will say he's no uh tom was it this guy thomas duty right wasn't there a guy who played for chicago a few years ago i think i used him a lot as a scrub this was like <laughs> three or four or five years ago but the vancouver guy I went with both Facciarini, if that's how you pronounce his name, and Adams all year. Those are my two. I wrote them out the entire year. Pretty much from the moment I asked on Discord, once I learned about switcheroos in like week four, and I learned like, oh, so you want to play somebody that is guaranteed not going to play, and you don't have to worry about him coming in for a minute. And yeah, it was definitely both of those guys. So I'm giving 
I think, I mean, it's a coin flip for me on those two, but whoever you chose, whoever gets second in that group, I would give them just as much of the reward <laughs> as I'd give because they both were perfect. The only thing that would keep me from giving Adams uh, a second place here is if you run, and this is some switcheroo 201 right here, but if you run <laughs> two defenders as switcheroos and you have them both in the field, you have to have three defenders for a legal formation. So if you have two defenders on your bench, you're going to get those players regardless of what your third player does, unless you have a third scrub on the field, and in which case, why even bother doing a switcheroo? Unless you've had so much money, you can just swap them out. I guess you're going for an auto-roo switcheroo here. So I would prefer to have a defender and then maybe a midfielder of a forward as as the pairing right here. And we had several 4.0 forwards I think you could have looked at as well. But that's just, maybe that's 2021 thoughts right there. But uh, just be careful if you ever run two 4.0 defenders as your switcheroo or your auto-roo options because it could easily not work out for you. Let's move on to number six. This one's this one's interesting. A lot of names thrown around. So I went with these three, but I could definitely see other names if you guys want to mention them. The Fantasy Boom or Bust Player of the Year. Now, these are the guys. Number five was the player you were using for your switcheroo. These are basically the guys for number six who were your switcheroos. They were the guys on your bench that you wanted to preview their score to find out if you wanted to keep them. These are those guys that could give you a two or could give you a 12. I mean, this is the kind of player, the boomer bust players that we had. This one was tight. And the top three nominations that we had uh, were Castellanos over there with New York City FC, BWP at uh, LAFC, and then Jordan Morris over at Seattle. So... Um, uh, Castellanos had 78 points over 19 games, 5.5 uh, million forwards, 6 goals, 3 assists. BWP was 71 points over 15 games, 7.9 million, 5 goals, 6 assists. And then Jordan Morris was 116 points over 19 games, 10 million, 9 goals, 6 assists. So that's where we have, and with a vote of 42.9%, uh, we have Castellanos as, uh, I'm so sorry, I'm sure I'm butchering this, as uh, the the winner right here. It was tied with Jordan Morris for the longest time, uh, but Jordan Morris was second with 41.4. I'm inclined to go with this just because of that 5.5 million. I mean, that's, that's a, an easy switcheroo to have, but if you had the money going with, if you could have Jordan Morris in there, I mean, that was a, a powerful and potent switcheroo at times so i'm interested in hearing what you guys think about this one so the votes got it wrong oh. um oh we have another name if you I, have another name throw it out tati castianos had four games total where he scored more than three points I, when when i'm judging a boomer bust player sure i want a reasonable chance in 19 games to have about 10 of those where you score more than three points I'm not going to be picking a guy who is scoring ones and twos for the first 10 rounds. It He did not get his first score above a three until week 10 versus DC. He had played a bunch of games up to that point. Like, that's not a guy I'm looking at for a boomer bust. If you're looking at that, four booms on the whole season over 19 games is not enough to do it. Uh, Morris, I ran some numbers. I've got a whole list of stuff that I'll share that you guys can talk about. Morris had five games with t at least 10 points and seven games with the goal. 
his peak outside of that was four points. Zardes had eight games with a goal. Everything else was a two or a three. That's a boomer bust player. Eight eight out of about 20 hitting is okay. Uh, Mueller with um, Orlando, seven games with a goal, four, game, yeah. four weeks above 10. DK, seven games with a goal, three weeks above 10. Those are the guys that you're looking boomer bust. Outside of that, they were rocking twos and threes for the most part. Mueller actually had a better average, so he may not make a boomer bust list. Um, and these are all guys I would put above Tati in the listing. Uh, Kyoto, six games with a goal, four weeks above 10. Um, a surprising one that I really liked was Krylock had seven games with a goal, and two of those weeks he had at least 10, but he was there. And then a um, guy we talked about earlier, uh, defender is Donovan Pines. He had five five weeks above 10 points. We had a late entry talking... of Kevin Molino as well. Yeah, I didn't run the numbers on <laughs> Molino. I should. Um, but Pines, with only a few clean sheets for the year, five weeks above 10 points when you're not clean sheet hunting, that's a guy you throw in. But And I'm only counting five, game, five weeks above 10 points. Um, he had plenty of eights and nines in there that I didn't calculate in. So he played 14 games. He's looking at over half of his games being... Eight, eight points or better. That's a huge production from a boomer bust guy. Um, when I ran all the numbers, I think I would have to give boomer bust player to Pines with the close second being <clears throat> probably Morris just because of the number or his total points. But Pines was that guy that about 50% of the time you were expecting a hit and you were getting a hit. And when you look at a boomer bust, you want more of those highs than lows but they're not quite steady enough to be like an every week type of inclusion. And so just raw numbers. I like pines. Um, I think of the li guys listed in your poll, Morris is probably the best. I mean, five above 10, that's best. That's tied with pines for the best. And he had seven goal, seven different games with a goal, a couple of those multi-goal games. I didn't count assists, but I think, of the ones you listed, if you're not going to go defenders, because I know we don't really pick defenders as boomer bust, I think Morris is your hands down best. I know the price was a little higher, but he just he hit so many more times. He was a guy you were willing to sacrifice the money on. I just I I can't believe uh, Tati had four booms and gets the number or gets the vote here because you're not looking at a boomer bust guy for four solid weeks that all come late in the season. I think that's recency bias coming into play. Yeah, I can definitely move away from, from Toddy with, with this one. Uh, my <laughs> Mike says no, just a second. Oh, I'm, I'm going to defend him. Go for it. Go for it. My, my, my anti, just say my, my anti pines is his, his nine, his 11 and his 10 in the first seven weeks of the game all came from clean sheets. And while that's a solid point, solid point generator for defenders, it can be a fluke. It could not be them. It's it's not something you really depend upon. He then gets three goals in the later half of the season. And if this was something more consistent, if Hines was a more consistent goal threat throughout the season, then I could be okay with that. But with him being so clean sheet heavy well, right now, that that's why, I mean, and I get that, but that then you throw any defender in there of like, well, I mean, everybody on DC got these clean sheets. They could up, but so, so yeah, I, I hesitate. I hesitate for Pine just because his booms were so clean sheet heavy. But, but Reed, I said he had five weeks above a ten. Only one of those I think was a clean sheet week. Uh, above a ten. There were two of them that were clean sheet weeks. The other three were from from goals, okay. and they were in the last half 
of the season. Yeah. Two of that was in. It's like I said, if if I had a couple of goals at the beginning of the of the season, or even one at the first part of the season, I, I could be more with that. DC was struggle bus though, so I mean, I, I get mm-hmm. I get all of that, but uh, definitely a guy to look out for. But I, I struggle to give to overturn. Tati and Jordan Morris for someone who was so clean sheet and heavy that, for his boots. That is why my final vote went to Morris. Um, I think with defenders, you are watching some of that. I do think, I think hitting more than you miss down the stretch, even without the clean sheets, is a pretty big benefit to him. But I don't think you're. I don't think anybody's really playing boom or bust off of defenders. You're clean sheet hunting with defenders and then switching out of that. Right. Which makes every defender a boomer bust every week. Mike, defend Tati. Okay, so part of the problem with that I have with Blaine's analysis is that Tati was not a boomer bust player the entire season because the beginning part of the season he was alternating with a bear. So, like for most of those seasons, like really we're only talking about ten games where Tati was the starting striker. One, he's so much cheaper than Jordan Morris. When we're talking about boomer bust with Jordan Morris, what's going boomer bust is your fantasy team, not just uh, Tati Castellanos. <laughs> because you're paying $10 million for a two point sometimes. That's, it, it, it's not just like boomer bust, like that's insane. Because you can take that $6 million and upgrade one of your midfielders so you can have both Ladero and Pozuelo. So to me, it's, this isn't even a conversation. You have a four million striker who four out of the 10 times where he was in this role was hitting double digits. That's huge. And not only did he generally hit it, he generally hit it big. Like you had a 24 points in there uh, against the Red Bulls. Like that makes your switcheroo. That's exactly what you're talking about as the ideal candidate. And it frees up money for you to bring in another player in the switcheroo if it doesn't work. Or you can upgrade somewhere else if he does hit. So to me, he's the absolute prototypical player. To me, Jordan Morris isn't in this conversation. The only person who's in this conversation is BWP because he had that price point earlier in the season and was hitting those numbers. I I think it's Tati Castellanos because he had um, the cheapness and, and because BWP kind of got heavy, like generally would be where BWP really would have been awesome would be in the MLS's back tournament. And unfortunately we couldn't play him then. But um, so if we're talking about over the season, it maybe this conversation to me, Jordan Morris is just too expensive for this proposition. I actually am going to disagree there and side on Blaine. Um, <laughs> this one now hear me out. I'm kind of an all in or all out type of guy. And with Morris, in terms of boom or bust, you are right in that. Like when you take him, you are risking your your whole team is kind of boom or bust because he is so valuable at that position, and you are kind of taking that risk because you're talking about Seattle, a team that has plenty of offensive uh, threats with Rudiaz, Ladero, etc. Like, so when you're taking him, to me, that is a big, huge boom or bust because. Not only are you risking the money factor of it, of like I'm taking a $10 million player who could get me two points, but I'm also risking it by taking somebody who, yes, he's not price-wise, but there are way too many threats on that team that can score. So, you know, like like it was said in Discord a, a while back, Ladero, there was that one game against San Jose where, you know, seven goals go in, and yet a player may only get, like Ladero only got, what was it, like, eight points while everybody else is getting 20s and 17s. 
And so to me, a guy like Morris, you're risking it by not only taking a guy who is 10 million, but also the opportunity that that team could have a great game and he just wasn't involved enough in the play. You know, it, it all went from Ladero to Rudiaz or, you know, if you're looking at Minnesota this last week, it was all Reynoso and Molino. I did look up the stats on Molino too. Credit, I think it was Patrick in the chat who said it. Um, he's probably a candidate I would put in there now looking at his stats. He had a 10, a 14, a 13, and a 15. But the rest were all ones, twos, and a five. Three ones, one, two, and a five. So to me, that 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 is definitely a shout-out. I think I'm going with Morris, but I give credit to Molino um, because, yeah, he either scores two goals or a goal and an assist, or he plays 10 minutes and then gets subbed out for an injury, sadly. So I'm going with Morris and Blaine. Jason, what do you think here? He might have to have a tiebreaker. Oh, man. Um... No pressure. <laughs> uh, you know, I I um, I boomed on Tati and I uh, Castellanos and I boomed on Jordan Morris both. Um, so um, I'm just going to throw in Ilsenio because I don't know. You know, it's just, you know like he I would muddies always, the I, waters. Not so muddies much, the like, waters. Not so much this season, but last season, I was always like, ah, Ilsenio, I'll throw him on my bench. Maybe he'll show up <laughs> and score a hat trick in 15 minutes, or maybe he'll do absolutely nothing. So. Okay, so what I have to say about uh, Kevin Molino is I find Kevin Molino to be a more of a consistent producer. Like, it, was more, it wasn't it was necessarily like, is he going to get me a 1 or is he going to get me a 14? It was like, am I going to get a 6 or a 7 or am I going to get a 12? That kind of thing. So it's like, am I going to get a solid game out of Molino or an awesome game from Molino? Then he had some injuries and some of those bust points there come from him playing 30 minutes or things like that so um i i think molino is a very valid name for this conversation but i think he's more of a consistent player that that had some awesome points and then had some low points from injuries jordan morris i i see what you're saying with it, it's like am i going to go with him and hurt my fantasy team not necessarily is he going to boom or bust is it is it going to be they were going with rui diaz ladero or that uh Man, this one is is tough. What what ultimately gets it for me and makes me go with Castellanos. What makes me go with Tati is is what Mike said about him having this rotation. At the beginning of the season, he was not the guy you were gonna be playing. So when he had all these busts it was because he was coming in for 16 minutes. He was coming in for five minutes. And he it wasn't even a guy you were considering because he was this sub. And he wasn't even a super sub. He was just a guy that was going to come in here because New York City FC was still trying to figure out what in the world they were doing with their coach and with their front attack. But once he started getting consistent minutes, and we're looking at around week eight here, or after around that double game, when he started consistently playing 90 minutes, that's when he got... Is it a two? Is it a two? Or is it a thirteen? All of a sudden, or is it nothing? Then I get a, a hat trick and, a, and an assist and all this stuff, like the way he rounded out the year. So I think for the period, even though it's a, a smaller period and a more recent period of time, when this player became fantasy viable, that it was much more of, well, I'm either going to get a double-digit point here, or I'm going to get two points. And I think that was Tati Jordan Morris. I think you usually had. A hope of a more reliable score from oh, so i we, will uphold the i will certify the voting as done by the members of twitter 
Yeah, Reed, I think hearing you say that, I think we've got kind of a disconnect in how we do this, and chat can weigh in, we can weigh in, whatever it is. It's just, I at a certain price point, and Tati is there, you don't really consider, I don't really start considering them boomer bust players. They're not a guy like I'm looking at, it's like, oh, I'm going to throw him on my bench. DK was there when he first started, got, started getting starts. Um, uh, Frank O'Hara from Dallas is there. They are so cheap, you can throw them on your bench and you don't have to make a choice. They're, they're all upside. There's no downside to taking them. And Tati definitely fits that. I think he finished at 5.5 or under 6. Like, oh, he did. He did. Yeah, there's, there, yeah. What's the downside to taking him? You're, getting you're two points. Like, I mean, that's the thing. Getting two points. Yeah. It, that's the that's the beauty but, is that there is that's that's the design of this is yeah. boomer bust doesn't we don't have to have the same way of doing it. Yeah. Uh, but it's just, it's just at a certain point you just I start looking at it, it's like oh well I'm not going to look at that value player as a boomer bust. That's a I'm spending 1.5 million over a scrub to get a chance at some decent points and. I can use that money elsewhere. Like that's just a uh, solid roster building when you've got to fill in a spot and you're looking for Otteru candidates. But it doesn't matter. Hey. There's nothing that says that just common sense budget management can't play into a boomer bus player. So, uh, but yeah. I am, I am certifying this vote right here. Castellanos Tati is getting 42.9% and the fantasy boomer bus player of the year. Moving on to number seven. This is, I, and I, I never really phrased this the way I quite wanted to, but I think everybody got the idea. So this is the team that was most impacted fantasy point-wise by a, a player loss. Uh, and the, the number can the teams that were in consideration here, uh, we had Atlanta, uh, LAFC, and New England, over uh, considering uh, Martinez and Vela and, and Carlos Heel. Uh, at the time. So overwhelmingly 70.3% probably does not need a discussion here, but we have uh, Atlanta as the winner. Columbus potentially could have been in this conversation as well when they didn't have Zellerion for a while as well. But uh, I, I think Atlanta deserves this spoon. I don't know this, this pity right here. I don't know. Is, is anybody disagree that Atlanta was not the most impacted by the loss of the player fantasy wise? Reed, I, 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 I want to say, I think, I think everybody took this in uh, the negative tone, most impacted by a loss negatively. Um, I think if we open this up That's and fair. people actually thought about it positively, um, LA Galaxy, when Chicharito was out, they instantly became fantasy viable <laughs> all the way around. Like, if fair. you're looking at impact, fair. Chicharito gone, I was willing to pick up their guys. Chicharito starting, I dump everybody. It doesn't matter. I dump everybody. It's... And it's so he just wasn't hurt long that. enough. If he'd have been hurt longer, they'd have made the playoffs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, the only thing I would counter to that, really, with uh, Atlanta, like Joseph just brought the whole team down, and they really had no viable options after that. I think there's two ways to look at it. It's like Joseph took went down, don't pick anybody from Atlanta anymore. They're not holding the ball up. They're not generating an offense. The other one was, uh, I love New England after heel went down it opened up so many options all the way around um let me pull up their stats i had them up a minute ago we've got all these names but bunbury ended the season with 83 points um he's a guy we don't normally count on uh books have got 78 or 68 that's another pretty solid score uh buchanan is a forward got 56 
He played in all 20 games. There were, there were, it changed things. I think we dumped Atlanta players, and that makes it an easy pick to say, yeah, they were the most impacted by missing a player. Nobody was viable. But I think the heel injury changed how New England had to play, and it brought some of these other names into contention. Bunbury ended the season at 7.5. Books is 6.2. These were guys you could easily stash on your bench for some cheap points throughout the week, and they hit pretty well. I mean, an 83 and a 68 are respectable scores for guys in those mid-price points. And that's I think that only happens because Heal is out like he is. And so honorable mention to New England on this. I just You can't overstate how important some of this is to fantasy when a key player goes down and other people have to step up and they still do well. Atlanta was just that massive train wreck. They lost their one key guy and everything fell apart. Nobody was fantasy viable anymore. And it's just avoided all cost. And that's crazy to see in this game. I don't think I've ever seen a, a year where one player goes down and you're not even looking at his replacements really. No, for sure. You're just like, nope, avoid the team. For sure. I mean, you could make also a strong argument for, for Vela being gone because not only did that make BWP and Rossi much more uh, desirable at times, but it, it freed up fantasy managers to not always Captain Vela. And, and which I guess it sort of became always Captain Ladero or always Captain Pozuelo, but it still did give you some uh, some more flexibility with that. But uh, I, I think what you said there, Blaine, at the end that with with Joseph leaving and then not having Barco and everybody there step up to really be viable players, and then having just the mass exodus there, it was like Atlanta just wasn't even even worth it. And, and that was because Joseph left, that the team just collapsed. Uh, and it made them not fantasy-worthy. And I've been against at times. So I, I think we're good with, with Atlanta here. Okay, and here's the final category, just sort of the catch-all, the fun category, uh, and the last one that we'll do for tonight. And this is not a poll, but who did I snub? Who did I not have here? And Blaine dinged me for not putting up some other, some other categories, uh, like a newcomer of the year and then Dan Wright suggested a bargain of the year or maybe this where Castellano should have been uh, for a fantasy bargain maybe that would have been a better category next year Dan we'll do that next year uh, but but uh, who did I who did I snub with with this list or who did we snub during our conversation anybody else I can for sure say one that Blaine and I both agreed on and okay. I know we talked earlier but uh, Dane St. Clair and you mm-hmm. know call it a homer pick I, that's fine but, like, he really, you know, we were talking about Willis a lot and all these other keepers, but it really hit me as I'm looking at his stats to get six clean sheets out of 13 games, to almost go a straight 50-50% with a defense that kept being jumbled. You have a guy like Chase Gasper who gets yellow cards all the time, so you're always worried about if he's going to play the next game, etc. And then with, you know, Ike Opara being out for the season, which threw us all for a loop, and then we bring in... Uh, Debasi, and everyone's kind of shifting positions, and Coleman came back for these last two games, and you're kind of up in the air on what Heath's going to do in general for, with his game plan. To have a guy like a 23-year-old Dane St. Clair to be able to still keep those clean sheets, granted, we do have the goalpost as part of our friend because that did save us a few, 
but he made some miraculous saves and he kind of manned the helm on defense. Like he, he was a loud vocal voice and was able to make that defense run as a unit. And when he needed to, he would make the stop. So I know, like I said, I, as Blaine said, I stole his thunder, which I didn't, I apologize to him, but like, dude, you got to give it to St. Clair. That man was insane this year for, for when he started and how much he jumped in price because of it. I think that just shows he would be my kind of MVP or newcomer of the year sort of deal. I would definitely look at him. Ari, you're wearing the crest. You deserve to do that. Like, Thank you. Introduce <laughs> your guy. Um, the only thing I would add is he ended the season at 11.1 or 11.3. He started out, didn't play a game until week five, right? Week five. He got nine weeks in. He started at $4 million. He went up almost every single week. If he had done max price point over that, his maximum potential price for where he started is $13 million. Maximum total the system would allow is thirteen million. He ended up over eleven. Like that means two weeks he didn't get a full price rise. And I think he actually took he may have gone down in the last week. Yeah, his his week change is minus eight. So before this last week where he's priced himself out, the Chicago game where he got a three was enough to drop him point eight. He was at an eleven point nine and his and his system maximum was 13 this season that's dominance in a system that allows a price change like this Uh, even midfielders don't rise like that and stay like that that's just insane well i haven't heard too many uh uh, snubs right now you guys mentioned some good ones just now you guys mentioned some good ones there Uh, i guess a shout out to leanne that came from ari for uh, best guest podcast host right there uh so so that's that was sweet i might have stolen the thunder now that i'm on but that's all a separate thing (laughs) uh well great thank you so much guys Uh, so those are our fantasy awards i'll try to make some some fun little graphics or something and put it up on twitter maybe we'll get some retweets or likes from the teams out there but uh guys it's been a fantastic season everybody y'all listening it's been a fantastic season i know it started out weird uh, thank you for those of you who stuck with us through some of the content filler podcasts that we did. Uh, the Fantasy Mount Rushmore, the, the Trips Down Fantasy History, uh, and all of that. Uh, it, it was a lot of fun doing those older posts. I know that we had the reason uh, of COVID-19, uh, and, and I hope that the podcast did something to help keep people going during this time. I had some suggestions of having like a, a COVID-impacted team or a COVID-impacted player as an award, and I just wasn't going to do that uh, just because it is still a serious thing. That, that people are dealing with. And so I don't want to make light of it, um, but great news about potential vaccines that came out today. And, and so we hope for a lot of that progress there, but I'm so glad you guys were able to to stay with us during this journey. And I'm so glad for all of the, the messages I've seen on Twitter about how well people have done. Uh, I, I'm flattered that people are are attributing some of that to to me or this podcast or the communities that that have been built around. I mean, I'm, I'm just putting this stuff together. And so there's great people in these communities who I think equally need to be uh, showered with praise and highlighted for the work that they've done, uh, not just in building like older Goler does with, with building the communities and everybody helping here and Blaine and Mike with, with the podcast, but, but other people who are their Haitian Zavi and, and black and red and, 
and Mr. Frumble and all those people who are down there at, at Discord and, and everybody and the guests that we've had on the show. I mean, lots of people are coming together and I'm so glad that people are able to get this content and have fun with this game and this sport that we're all so passionate about. And that's really what it's all about at the end. So uh, from what we've heard from James, there will be a 2021 game. So I'm excited for that. Uh, if people have feedback, I'll get a survey up to, to see about what people want. I'm thinking about trying to do some more videos next year for some content. So I hope that might be able to be consumed pretty easy for people who uh, aren't always able to listen to the podcast or just different, different time zones of things. So some stuff in the works, but uh, thanks so much guys for listening. Let's do uh, the plugs right here. We'll, we'll real quick. There we go. As we wrap it up. Uh, so start with you, Blaine. Yeah. I'm going to take one from Shannon to um, major shout out to Felix came on the show this year, finished fourth overall. Yeah. Unfortunately, he got clipped in the last <laughs> week and dropped to number four. I think he was, uh, if I'm looking at the stats right, he was, I guess, number two going into the week. He, No, he would have been, yeah, he would have been a little bit behind um, field projection. Jeff Jones, a friend of mine from uh, Facebook League We Play, he would have been just a few points behind. He did enough to kind of close the gap there, but he got passed by a couple of guys. And then give a shout-out to Ryan Anderson, who's a guest on the show quite a bit. He finished fifth overall this year. Um, so a few guys in my circle um, finishing there in the top five always makes me happy. But love have, seeing our guests do well. And Felix and Ryan, both uh, four and five is just a huge year. and got to give them their praise. Jason. Um, okay, I wrote mine down, so I wouldn't forget them. Um, I have... Uh... I have three soccer-related ones that are DC United-specific and two non-soccer-related ones. Um, I want to shout out Ben Olsen and uh, thank him for, for all of his contributions to DC United. So I'm going to shout out Ben Olsen. I'm also going to um, keep your eyes on uh, Moises Nyman, Kevin Paredes, and Griffin Yao, who are the three homegrowns for DC United this year who got a lot of playing time. And I hope they get to play more next year. And um, I'm putting in my vote for Jill Ellis to take over as manager for DC United. So those are my three, uh, my three DC United shout outs, my non-soccer shout outs. Um, I have four people whose names I'm going to put on this podcast and they're never going to listen to it anyway, but I'm going to, I told them I would shout them out. Uh, Logan, Nicole, Kim, and Leah, I'm just saying your names. And finally, totally not soccer, but I think it needs to be done. We need to pour one out for Alex Trebek, the late, great Alex Trebek. Um, so those are my shout outs right there. Very nice. Ari. Um, I have a few also. First off, the whole Discord community. Um, as a rookie coming into the league, you panic some weeks. You have one really good week, and then you realize the next week when prices go up and everything goes up, and all of a sudden you go from having a budget to being $9 million over, and your hair is <laughs> falling out. The community kind of picks you up and you know, takes that weight off your shoulders, gives you enough advice, and I can't thank all of them enough that were in there that, you know, like Samurai Panda, I think I asked him about 50 questions. So I got to give him the shout-out. All three of you guys on the podcast because it's something to look forward to on, you know, mainly Mondays, um, especially to, like, wind down yet still, like, kind of hang out with people, especially during COVID, and it's hard to kind of go out and see a lot of people. So to be able to hop on, uh, and just kind of interact on YouTube during this session. That's always a fun one. Uh, shout out to my league that I'm in, True North Elite. There were 16 of us in there. 
uh, Spencer. Nice. In that league, he was third pretty much the entire year. And then the final three weeks, he said, I'm going to win. And he passed me. Um, and uh, Corey Burrington, who was also one of the top three fighting for it. And then whoever made We Need Zlatan back league, because I joined that in week one. I have no clue what it was, but it was head-to-head. I started in first. I finished in first. And I think once I checked and I was in second, no clue how, but I kept winning every single week. So that was really cool. <laughs> Um, but yeah, mainly I'm giving a shout out to you three because once I got onto it, it was awesome, and I'm I'm totally hooked. And I guess lastly, Ryan Anderson because I mean, aside from the fact that he's a fellow Minnesota United fan, he just ran away with that league the entire time, and the fact that he put out those stat sheets every week, very helpful, very good tool. But to everyone in the community, definitely join the Patreon, join the Discord, hang out with these guys more. You guys are awesome, so I appreciate it. Glad to have you as a member. Mike. Um, so I, I have a few. Um, I'm going to shout out uh, some friends of mine. Um, Jacqueline and David Warren uh, published a book that came out today. It's a children's book that illustrates uh, Catholic thinkers who contributed heavily to science. So it really promotes the idea of religion and science uh, as being together as opposed to opposite forces. Um, I'll probably tweet out uh, the link to, to order that book. Um, Jacqueline is a beautiful, incredibly talented artist, um, and her illustrations are fantastic. So if you're having a child wanting to promote religion and faith, this is something uh, I think you should look forward to. Um, as far as uh, other plugs, uh, I'm going to first plug out um, my wife, who has allowed me to do this uh, podcast for years. Uh, this is so much for like what she sacrificed that she's made uh, in order to get the kids ready, get the homework and, and all of that done. Um, I'm kind of tearing up a little bit because I had told Reed and Blaine before this is my last podcast as a permanent co-host uh, for MLSFI. Um, because the time commitment is just too unfair to her. And I don't want to do y'all a disservice by not being able to devote the time uh, properly. But as a result, I want to shout out this fantastic community. Um, the sacrifices that I've made time-wise from doing other things and all of that um, has always been worth it and justified when it's been done for this community. Um, the people I've met over the years have been absolutely fantastic all the people i've interacted with on twitter um too many to name all the people on discord all the people who have come on guest hosts or other um podcast hosts um have been tremendous and i think we've started many lifelong relationships that that i will always treasure uh, but obviously i want to specifically mention my other co-host um jason who, who isn't co-hosting anymore but who i'm still uh, friends with and obviously Reed and Blaine it's just been a fantastic time uh, I'm so glad I was able to do this with you and I wish the game and the community all the best of luck uh, in the future I knew that was coming but I still wasn't quite, quite ready for it uh, thank you so much Mike it's been a pleasure um, having you on and I definitely hope that we can keep doing some stuff on the side. Maybe get some some Star Wars podcasts here every now and oh, then, yeah. and and get Mike back yeah. every now and then when when uh, during a during a, a blue derby or some sort of kind to <laughs> to get some bragging in there. Mike, I'm trying not to cry over this. Cause you've been here since I started, and it's just it's going to be different without you. Thanks for everything you did to help me along the way, and we're going to miss you on here. 
Well, on that bittersweet note, everyone, uh, 2020 has just been a roller coaster. Uh, but again, so happy to have you all with us. We'll be back next year in uh, 2021. Enjoy the time off. Enjoy MLS Cup. And uh, just stay safe as uh, we round out the rest of this year. For the last time in 2020, I'll end with saying good luck. <laughs>